I want to look at this in Mark chapter 11, because this is a passage of scripture that used to confuse me and bother me. And then when the Lord explained this to me, it goes right along with what I've been saying about the importance of the word and how important the word of God is in our life. And so this is a story about John the Baptist that will graphically illustrate what I've been talking about this week. And this really helped me when I saw this. And so in Matthew chapter 11, in verse two, it says, now when John had heard in the prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again, those things which ye do hear and see the blind receive their sight the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. You know, those are really sarcastic statements on Jesus' part. He says, what brought thousands, tens of thousands of people out into the desert? Why did you go out there? Was it to see the reeds blowing in the wind? Those reeds had been there for thousands of years. It had never drawn a multitude out there. It wasn't the scenery that took people out into the desert. And what did you go there for? Was it to see a man in soft raiment, soft clothing? to see an evangelist that had on patent leather shoes and a fancy $5,000 suit or whatever. Nope. John the Baptist was quite the fashion statement. He wore camel's skins. Amen. And I've been told that camel skins are the smelliest thing that you could possibly wear. The only thing that smells worse is if you get them wet and he spent half of his time in the river baptizing people. So... It wasn't John's fashion statement that drew him out there in verse uh, nine. But what went you out for to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you and more than a prophet for this is he whom is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Man, is that one big statement. Stop and think about who this is talking about. Moses is one that was born among women before John the Baptist. And all of us have seen the Ten Commandments. We know what Moses did. Think about how powerful it was, what Moses did. He even spoke and the earth opened up and swallowed his critics into the pit and then closed on them. He says, if I'm a prophet, then let something brand new happen that has never happened before. Let the earth open up and swallow you alive into the pit and boom, it opens up and swallows them. That's pretty awesome. He went up and spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the presence of the Lord, was given the 10 commandments, came down and broke them at the foot of the mountain, went back up and fasted another 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. 80 days without food or water. You can't go over three days without water without starting to die. You can go 40 days 
without dying, but after 40 days, you begin to start dying without food. But he went 80 days without food or water. Supernatural. He radiated the light of God. It reflected in his life. He did all of these miracles, opened up the Red Sea, all of that. John the Baptist was greater than Moses. John the Baptist was greater than Elijah, the very first person to see a person raised from the dead who did all kinds of miracles. Greater than Elisha, greater than David, greater than Isaiah, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Daniel, who at one time God said, if the three greatest intercessors on the earth were here, I still wouldn't repent. If Jeremiah and Daniel and uh, who was it? Samuel. Samuel and, and anyway, I forget who they were, but the three greatest intercessors, if they were alive, I still wouldn't change. And he put Daniel in as one of the greatest intercessors. And yet John the Baptist was greater than all of this. You know why this caused problems for me for a period of time is because if you would go back and think about this for John the Baptist to send two of his disciples and say, are you the Christ? This was a crisis of the biggest crisis in John the Baptist's life. John the Baptist wasn't a skeptic. He wasn't like one of the Pharisees that had doubted who Jesus was. John the Baptist is the one that when he was still in his mother's womb and Jesus walked in, John leapt for joy in his mother's womb and recognized the Messiah. Even before he was physically born, he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm sure his mother told about the prophecy that came out of her mouth. And without her even knowing that Mary was pregnant, she was a virgin. She wasn't married. She'd never had relationship. And yet Elizabeth spoke out of her mouth. What is this that the mother of my Lord should come into my house? And she began to prophesy over Mary. I'm sure that John heard all of these stories. Zacharias shared about how he had seen an angel and God said that your child is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, that he is going to fulfill prophecy and that he will anoint the Messiah that comes. He knew all of these things. He was raised this way. Plus it says that John the Baptist was in the desert until the day of his showing unto Israel. John the Baptist didn't grow up anywhere near normal. He didn't go to school. He didn't work with his father. He didn't do something. Most people believe that he went out and lived with this group of people called the Essens, the ones that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls and lived around the Dead Sea. And they were a a religious group that all they did was meditate in the word. And they are the ones that copied out the scriptures and they were strict, strict, strict to the max. And they studied scripture. So John the Baptist had nothing like a normal upbringing. He was committed to God from the time he was born. He's the only person in the history of the world. Even it didn't say this about Jesus. John was the only one who was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was even born. He came out of the womb with the Holy Spirit. John was a unique character. And for him to have been so adamant, like when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God and his disciples immediately took off. And the Pharisees tried to use this to drive a wedge between John and Jesus and get John to criticize Jesus. 
And they said, don't you understand that the, this master is baptizing more disciples than you did? And they were trying to get John, they were trying to pray on his selfishness to get him to criticize Jesus and drive a wedge between them that would give them some ability to discredit them and stop this movement. And John said without any reservation, he must increase, but I must decrease. I am not even worthy to stoop down and touch the uh, sandals on his feet. John at one time was absolutely certain that Jesus was the Messiah and he proclaimed him to be so. And that's powerful. And he also had two visible signs. The Lord told him upon whom you see the spirit descending and whom you hear an audible voice saying, this is my beloved son. That is the one. And John saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus and heard an audible voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son. You would think after all of that, you couldn't doubt. And yet John the Baptist had been thrown into prison. And in prison, it doesn't tell us how long he was there. I've tried to figure this out and I haven't been able to figure it out, but it's at least six months. Could have been as much as two and a half or three years. John had rotted in prison. And you know, for a minister who John waited for 30 years, he was in the wilderness until the time that it was ripe. And when God told him go, he didn't go into the populated areas and start preaching where all the people were. He went out into the wilderness and started screaming in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Totally unconventional. He was so anointed, so powerful that I picture maybe one person passing through the desert and hearing some prophet over here yelling and screaming like there was 10,000 people about prepare the way of the Lord. And he went over to see what was happening and the Holy Spirit touched him and he got under such conviction. He ran and went and told somebody and he, they came out and pretty soon within, he only had a six month ministry. And in six months period of time, John the Baptist had turned not only the Jews, but all of those nations around there towards the Lord. It was the greatest revival that had ever hit the world. People were excited and looking for a Messiah. And after six months, 30 years preparing, six months, he's done. I can't even imagine what that would be like. That would be like me for 30 years trying to reach people. And then finally they start coming in about the time you feel like you're finally reaching people. God says, thanks. That was it. Man, that would be tough on you. And then you're sitting in prison being falsely accused at the whims of a crazy man And you know what? When things don't go the way you anticipated that they do, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And John the Baptist, I'm assuming this, but even Jesus' disciples thought that the kingdom was going to come right then, that when the Messiah came, he would usher in the physical kingdom on the earth. They didn't understand that there was this church age in between the first coming and the second coming. 
And there's reasons that they didn't understand that because in the Old Testament, it was all run together. We only now understand through the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament that there's this church age. But back then, people expected the Messiah to come and set up a physical kingdom on the earth and grant victory right then. And so I assume that John the Baptist probably thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and establish the kingdom on earth right then. And it wasn't going the way he had pictured. He probably never saw himself rotting in prison and threatening to be beheaded and everything else. But because things didn't go the way that he thought they would, John the Baptist began to doubt. And you know, this says a lot of things, but one of them is nobody is beyond doubt. I don't care if you had the Lord appear to you and do things. You know what? You can be susceptible to doubt. I remember one guy who I spoke to him about coming to school. It's the only person I've ever said this to, but I'd known this guy for 20 years. He was languishing. His life was going nowhere. And every time I saw him, it was the same old story. Just nothing's working. And And anyway, I met with him and his wife and I finally just spoke to him and I quoted the scripture from those lepers that were sitting at the gate of Samaria. And they said, finally, how long are we going to sit here till we die? If we stay here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, we die. Let's go out and discover ourselves to the Syrians. The only thing they can do is kill us. We're going to die anyway. We need to do something. How long are we going to sit here until we die? And I told this guy, I said, how long are we going to have this conversation till you die? Or am I going to be doing this again next year? I said, thus saith the Lord, you better come to school and do it right now. And he's the only person I ever told, thus saith the Lord, you're supposed to come to school. Other people, I say, you know, you need to pray about it and let God speak to you. But I just took the initiative and told this guy to come to school. So he did it. And he didn't have a job. And he came out, he was living with some people and his wife and family were still back where he came from. And he was struggling financially and he was having doubt and he was just a griper and a complainer the whole time he was here. And finally, he was praying about it and the Lord appeared to him. The Lord walked into the basement where he was and told him, this is where I told you to be. Quit complaining. And he got up and told the whole school. And he says, man, I saw Jesus. He walked into my room. You would think that'd be the end of doubt. Within a week, he was back whining and griping and complaining. And I reminded him, I said, I've never had Jesus walk into the room and talk to me. And he said, oh, I forgot about that. And and anyway, I'm just telling you, you think that if I had this happen, if this happened, I'd never doubt again. That's not true. I've seen the dead raised. I've seen great miracles happen. I've seen my own son raised from the dead. And you know what? Now that you look at him, it's like, did this really happen? I could doubt it if I wanted to. I've had people that were there the night that the Lord changed my life and everybody was impacted. Everybody was overwhelmed. Everybody was touched. And yet I am the only person out of about maybe eight people that were there the night that God touched my life that still believes it was God. Everybody else writes it off to emotionalism or who knows what it was. I'm just telling you that any person, if John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, who walked with God, who did these things, had done things that nobody else had done, who Jesus said was the greatest man that had ever walked on the earth up until that time. If John the Baptist can doubt, you can doubt. There is not anything in the natural that will take away doubt. 
If you indulge your doubts, if you go to searching and trying to figure out, is there any possibility that I might be just believing something wrong? If you open that door, you can doubt. John the Baptist did, so can you. And what really bothered me, I understood how crisis situation this was. And Jesus said these wonderful things about John. Again, I don't know how you've dealt with things, but in the past, Jamie and I've had discouraging things. I remember one conference we went to and there was about 2000 people there. And this is back when nobody knew us and we were just struggling. And I had thought of quitting many, many times. And it was just like, I went to this conference thinking, God, I need a word from you. I need something. And, and at this conference, all of the speakers were prophesying to the other speakers they were prophesying to each other. And I was back there thinking, they aren't the ones that need a prophecy. I need a prophecy. I need God to say something to me. And they said, go hug somebody. And it was in a church that had 2000 people in it. And the center section must've had 70 people in, in a row. And I was in the center of the row, 35 people from any end in the center of the auditorium. Nobody knew me. And the pastor of that church, Pastor Bob Nichols, who I'd met one time, a very bad situation that embarrassed me. And I thought this guy had never talked to me again. That pastor got off the platform, ran down the aisle, pushed through 35 people and got over there and hugged me. And he says, brother, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. And he wouldn't let go. Everybody else quit hugging and they sat down and he was still hugging me in front of the whole thing saying, don't quit don't quit. Don't quit. And it was like, God knew me. Amen. God knew I needed that. And you know what? It, it, for, for a week, it made me feel good. Some of you may not have caught that, but even as important as that hug is, and we need to do things like that, you know what? You can't base your life on the fact that somebody came down and hugged you and said, don't quit. But it helped at the moment. But most of us, if we were given an option, that's what we would want. If you're discouraged, you're praying, oh God, have somebody come over and hug me. Have somebody call me. Have somebody show me some attention. We want some kind of a feeling, some kind of an emotion that's going to help us. That's what most of us are looking for. And when I saw this and saw how crisis it was, John the Baptist could have been in prison for years, struggling with doubt. This is, this was doubting everything. If Jesus wasn't the Christ, then John the Baptist, who was the only person ever filled with the Holy Spirit in the history of the world, anointed like no other person had ever been anointed and had separated himself, had missed out on marriage, had missed out on a family, had missed out on growing up friends, had missed out on everything and had given himself 100% to serving God. He had done all of these things. And if Jesus wasn't the Christ, John the Baptist had taken the greatest blessing of any person in the history of the world and had anointed the wrong person. His life was an absolute failure. This wasn't just a doubt about, was Jesus the Christ? It was a question about, did I blow it? 
Did I take what God gave me and totally ruin my life and the lives of thousands, tens of thousands of other people? Have I pointed them in the wrong direction? I was dedicated to God. Have I actually served the devil? Man, John the Baptist was struggling. And look over in uh, Luke chapter seven. I want to read this same thing out of Luke chapter seven. It's said in just a few different words. In Luke chapter seven, it says in verse 19, and John calling unto him, two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, art thou he that should come or look we for another? When the men were come unto him, they said, John Baptist has sent us unto thee saying, art thou he that should come or look we for another? And in the same hour, Jesus didn't even answer him here. He didn't even respond to him. It says, and in the same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits and unto many that were blind, he gave sight. He just went around and ignored them in a sense and performed all of these miracles and saw blind eyes open over in Mark. It says that he saw people raised from the dead. He did all of this in one hour and then he turns around and answers them after an hour of not answering them and just doing miracles. Then he turned around and answering said unto them, go your way, tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to the poor. The gospel is preached and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And then look at this in verse 24. And when the messengers of John were departed. Now over in Mark's account, it says as they were departing. There's no contradiction between these, but they, they complement each other. The messengers were departing, but according to Luke's account, they were already departed. They were out of earshot. What I'm trying to say through this is... Jesus waited to say all of these complimentary things. He waited to give John the Baptist a hug and give him an emotional something that would have made him feel feel good because Jesus was the most popular man on the face of the earth. Man, all of these nations were coming to him believing he was the Messiah. Tens of thousands of people were coming. And this man who was the envy of all of the people, if he would have said, John the Baptist is the greatest man that has ever been born. And then he goes on to say down here that he was the one prophesied in the old covenant that before I send my messenger, I mean, my Messiah, I'll send this messenger before his face to turn the heart of the fathers to the children. The last two verses in the old Testament, he's saying that John is the fulfillment of this. John is the spirit of Elijah in this man. Man, those things, wouldn't that have been awesome to have the most popular person in the nation say something like that over you? Why did he wait until John's messengers were gone? This is what perplexed me. I thought I would have a lot rather had him say something really nice over me and say that, man, I'm the most uh, anointed person that had ever lived on the face of the earth. I'd have rather had that than to just say, go tell him what you've seen and heard and he's blessed if he won't be offended. And this really confused me. And I spent years thinking about, Lord, I do not understand why you responded. It looked like Jesus didn't care about John. And yet they were cousins. John had prepared the way for Jesus. It says in the old covenant, he says, if you don't do this, if this messenger doesn't prepare the way, I'll come and smite the earth with a curse. 
You know, I don't know exactly what that means. I've never heard anybody else speak on this, but it looks to me like that if John hadn't fulfilled his course, instead of the Messiah coming and redeeming the world, he could have cursed them. He could have just wiped us out and have been over with. It says that he had to do this to prepare their hearts, lest he come and smite the earth with a curse. John the Baptist may have been much more important to our whole uh, planet and the body of Christ than what we realize. I don't understand all of that, but I know that John the Baptist was important to Jesus by the things that he said about him. Why didn't Jesus say all of these positive things when John was there, when his disciples were there? Why did he wait until John couldn't hear this? And this perplexed me for years. And then one day I was reading over here in Isaiah. I'd totally forgotten about this, but I was reading in Isaiah chapter 35. If you're familiar with the scriptures, John quoted from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he quoted from scriptures all over this place. And remember that the Old Testament scriptures were not written in chapter and verses. It was just one book. So if John knew Isaiah and quoted from these scriptures, he knew these verses here in Isaiah chapter 35. And I was reading this passage of scripture and this is instructions prophetically to the messenger that was going to go before Jesus to prepare his way. And it's telling this messenger who we now know as John the Baptist, what to say. And here's some of these scriptures that were prophecies that John the Baptist took his instruction from. In uh, Isaiah chapter 35, it says in verse three, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then, and this was all prophecy about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert etc. And as I was reading this, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit connected these two scriptures. And let me see that here's what Jesus did. When John came with doubts, you know what Jesus did instead of just giving him a hug or saying something that would make him feel good, that would die away. You know what Jesus did? Jesus fulfilled everything that Isaiah 35 said the Messiah would do. He healed the sick, He cleansed the leper. The lame man leapt as a heart. The tongue of the dumb sung. Plus, Jesus raised a person from the dead that wasn't even recorded here. He did everything that was prophesied about him in one hour's period of time, threw in somebody being raised from the dead, and then told John's disciples, go back and tell him what you've seen and heard. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and he will be blessed if he will just believe. You know what I believe Jesus was doing? Jesus was referring John back to the word to deal with his doubt. John, what does the word say? Most of us would have been more than thrilled to have Jesus say something complimentary like, oh, John, you're the greatest person that's ever been born among women. Go back and tell him that. Go back and tell him that I've honored him in front of all of these people. That's what most of us would have wanted. But you know what Jesus did? He sent him back to the word. John, what did the word say? 
What did the word say that the Messiah would do? What have I not done that was prophesied? He sent him back to the word to deal with his doubt. And you know, here's another great truth. I believe that the reason he did this isn't because he didn't honor John. I believe it's because he honored him so much. He didn't want to bring John down to just an emotional level where he got an emotional fix that might last for a week. He honored him so much. The greatest way to deal with your doubt is to go back to the word. And what does the word say? What does the word say about it? Well, I know what the word says, but I just don't feel this. Most of us have exalted feelings in our own opinion above the word but God is sending us back to the word. He's wanting you to go back to the word and not have some other substitute that we use to be codependent upon, that we have to feel his presence, that we have to see something. God, if you would give me a sign, if three cats would walk across my path with two of them going south and one going north, I'll know that your word is true. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know that some of you have done things just like this. If I could see this happen, if all of a sudden I make all of the lights and if all of them work, I know that you're in me going here and doing this. People do stuff like that. And that's what most of us are looking for. Oh God, if you'll have this person call me out and prophesy over me, then I'll know that you've called me to do this. I did this one time. When I first was leaving pastoring and I felt like God had called me to go into a traveling ministry, this is in 1978. I remember going to a Kenneth Copeland convention in Anaheim, California, and Jamie and I took our boys and we went out there. It was a major deal for us. It took all of the money we could scrape together, but I went out there to get a word from God. And there was 10,000 people in this auditorium and we were up in the nosebleed section of the balcony. And there was 10,000 people and I was putting a draw on Kenneth Copeland. And I said, oh God, I'm believing he's going to prophesy to me. And I had my eyes closed and I was just praying and calling on a prophecy and believing that he was going to stop the whole thing. And all of a sudden I heard him start prophesying and I looked up and he was pointing right at me. I thought, man, is it possible? And he started prophesying and he said nearly word for word what God had told me. It was nearly word for word, everything. It confirmed everything that I felt in my heart. And I thought, man, this is awesome. And then he said, did you get that, Ed? And I looked and Ed Dufresne was standing directly in between me and Kenneth Copeland. And he was pointing at Ed and it wasn't for me at all. And man, my hopes went down just as quick as they had gone up. And I thought, oh God, I thought you were speaking to me. And immediately the Lord spoke to him and he says, if I had been speaking to you, would you have learned anything that I hadn't already said? And I said, no, sir. And he says, why do you have to have a man prophesy to you? Aren't I enough? And you know what? I just decided that's it. And man, I made a decision and we left the security of being a pastor And I started traveling and ministering. And you know what? It was a big decision at the time, but it's turned out to be exactly what God told me to do. 
I heard it's this man, Walter Olson, I think was his name. And he was from Holland, but he started, I forget how many, but hundreds of churches in Africa. And he had a lot of financial problems and he had hundreds of churches that he had to support. And one time he was struggling and he was out in the jungle of Africa praying and saying, Oh God, where's our money. You said you would supply all of these needs and we've got all of these needs. And he was complaining and just griping. And he said that the Lord spoke so strong that it was an earthquake and the trees rattled and all of the things around him shook when God spoke. And he said, Walter, like that and the earth shook. And he says, isn't my word enough? And he just kept repeating it like he was upset. Like, isn't my word enough? Walter wanted something more than the word. He wanted some kind of a sign. And boy, God just said, isn't my word enough? That's what God spoke to me. It wasn't audible. Nothing shook except me. (laughs) But you know what? I learned that, man, God spoke to me and his word is enough. I don't have to have it confirmed by five angels and two dreams and one prophecy. Man, if I know that God's spoken something to me, that's going to be enough. And I believe that the reason that God dealt with John the Baptist this way is because he loved him so much, not because he loved him less, but there is a greater blessing on believing the word than there is on having signs and wonders and miracles and dreams and two confirmations. That is an immature way of relating to the Lord. Does it happen? Yes. Am I saying that God hates you or you're a bad Christian if that's the way that he's spoken to you? No, man, there's no bad way to have God speak to you. But there are some ways that have greater blessings than others. For instance, look over here in John chapter 20. This is after Jesus was raised from the dead and he appeared unto his disciples, but Thomas wasn't among them. And so when they told Thomas and they said that the Lord is risen from the dead and has appeared unto us, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it unless I can see the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. That's what he said. And so here it says in verse um, 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. And then he turns right over to Thomas, just like he knew exactly what Thomas had said, because he did. And he walked right over to Thomas and answered and said unto him, or he said unto Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. It doesn't say that he ever stuck his finger into the print of the nails, but when he saw Jesus and knew that Jesus had heard the doubt that he expressed, he just fell before him and he says, my Lord and my God. And look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. You know what this says? There is a greater blessing on you if you will believe the word without having some kind of physical, tangible proof. 
Now, God has spoken in audible voices. God has done things that help and manifest themselves to people. But, but again, look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Had all of these miraculous things happen. Was separated. Heard an audible voice from God. Saw a visible shape descend upon Jesus. He had all of these things and yet he still doubted. Those physical miracles will not give you faith. They may give you a momentary surge, but the Bible makes it very clear that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is where faith comes from. You can have a temporary thing that may get you over a hump, but the word of God is the long-term answer to every person's doubt. And God said that there is a greater blessing. Yea, rather blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, when I first saw these scriptures, I had just come out of the Baptist church and in the Baptist church, we didn't believe God did miracles. We didn't believe that anybody did miracles. Now, some of you may disagree with that, but you don't know what it was like 43 years ago. 43 years ago, Baptists didn't believe in miracles. They said you were of the devil if you got a miracle. Some of you are saying, well, that's not true. Well, they've, they've moderated some. They had to because there's been so many miracles. And you know what? They, you can even lift your hands in Baptist church nowadays. Boy, in the Baptist church I was in, if you lifted your hand, they'd say it's the second door on the left. Amen. <laughs> we actually had a guy in our church that used to say, praise the Lord. And they took a vote whether they were going to kick him out of the church because that was sacrilegious to say, praise the Lord. Some of you think, oh no, yeah, oh yeah, that's the way it was. Do you remember that, Wendell? (laughs) 43 years ago, before the charismatic move, I guarantee you, it was of the devil if anybody got healed. It was the devil if you had joy and victory. You couldn't do those kind of things. I mean, it, it was bad. What was my point? I got so carried away with that, I forgot where I was going. So when I came out of that, see, I didn't know that God did miracles. I'd never heard of this. And I started hearing Kenneth Hagin talking about that he had seen visions and he heard the Lord speak to him audibly. And he had a burning in his palms that when he put it on people, it would jump between his hands. And that would show whether he was supposed to pray for a healing or a deliverance. And people were having dreams. Man, this was all new to me. And so I thought, awesome. (laughs) Praise God. And I started pressing in. I started believing God for miracles and dreams. And and I wanted to have an audible voice. And I wanted burning in my hands. And I wanted to be caught up into the third heaven. And I started praying for all of these things. And I was really praying. I was fasting and believing God for all of these kind of things to happen. And the Lord showed me this verse. And he said, Andrew, if you keep pressing me, you will experience some of these things. But there is a greater blessing on you if you would just take the word of God and believe it. And then he sent me over to Matthew chapter eight, where the centurion came and said, Lord, come and heal my servant. And the Lord said, okay, I'll go. And as he went, the centurion sent somebody else and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should even come into my house. You speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority. I have servants under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To another, do this, and he'll do it. If you will speak the word only, my servant shall be healed. 
And Jesus marveled. There's only twice in scripture that Jesus marveled. Once was here at the centurion's faith. And another time he marveled at his disciples' unbelief. He was shocked that people could be as full of unbelief as the 12 people that he had picked. And he marveled that somebody could be as full of faith as the centurion. And he says, I have never found this great a faith. No, not in Israel. What made this man's faith great? He didn't have to have Jesus see him come in. He didn't have to have him wave his hand. He didn't have to hear him speak something. He says, speak a word only and I'll believe in the power of the word. There's an instance of a person, the greatest faith Jesus ever saw was a person who just stood on the word and didn't have to have some physical goosebump up and down his spine, something that he could feel or see, but he just trusted the word of God. You put all of this together and you know what I did? I started saying, after I saw this, I said, Lord, I'll take any way you want to speak to me. I'm not rejecting anything, but from now on, I'm not seeking anything except the word. I'm going to go to the word of God. And if the word says it, I'll believe it. I'm going to honor the word. I'm going to exalt the word. And I do not have to have a confirmation. The word can confirm itself by another scripture. But I quit waiting on something else that would validate the word. The word is validation of itself. And did you know, since that time, I mean, I have tried to put an emphasis on the word of God and it has served me well. And I honestly believe, I'm not saying this in any prideful way, but I honestly believe that that's one of the things that has caused Jamie and me to prosper is that we have just put the word out there and we've stood and I've never heard an audible voice. I've never seen a visible manifestation. I've never had most of the supernatural things that you hear people talking about. And yet we've seen our son raised from the dead and we've seen multiple people raised from the dead and blind eyes open. Even this week, we've seen miracles happen. We're seeing it happen because we honor the word and that is the highest form of belief. And I believe that this is what Jesus was doing with John. Rather than meeting him on a lower level that might've given him a momentary fix, he said, John, go back to the word. I know you know these verses. What is the Messiah going to do when he comes? What does Isaiah chapter 35 say that he will do? And he fulfilled exactly the things that were prophesied in Isaiah 35 in one hour. What are the chances of one man doing all of those things in a lifetime, much less in one hour? For anybody who's got ears to hear and eyes to see, that was more than enough proof that Jesus was the Messiah because he did what the word of God said he would do. And the scripture doesn't show us what response John had, but you know what I believe? I believe that John, he might've pondered it and wondered why did he say this? But I believe he knew these verses and he didn't have a Bible with him the way we do. He had these things committed to memory. I think that the Holy Spirit quickened these things and reminded him of what the prophecy of Isaiah 35 was. He all of a sudden connected the dots and he said, he's the Messiah. I didn't make a mistake. My life wasn't wasted. He has to be the Messiah because he has fulfilled what the word of God said he would do. And I believe that because of that, it doesn't matter if John had to last another six months or another year or whatever it was, because he was standing on the word of God, his faith was strong. And when they sent and beheaded him, he was willing to lay it down, knowing that he had done what God told him to do. Man, this is powerful. 
And yet most people in a crisis situation will get off of the word and start looking for some human, physical, natural fix, some way of encouraging themselves, some way of dealing with their doubts outside of the word of God. I tell you, God wants you to go back to his word. Look over in second Peter chapter one. This is where we started on Thursday night. And in the first four verses, it was talking about all things that pertain unto life and godliness come through the knowledge of him. Through this knowledge is given us these exceeding great and precious promises. And Peter just keeps talking about the power of the word. And then he said down here in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always always in remembrance of these things, talking about the word, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, talking about in his physical body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance of these words. This is how you stir yourself up is with the word of God. You go back to the promises, the things that God has spoken to you, the specific words that he spoke directly to you. This is how you stir yourself up is by putting yourself back in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle. In other words, he was talking about his death, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. You got to remember at this time, there wasn't a Bible as such. There was Old Testament scriptures, but the New Testament scriptures hadn't been established. It was the writing of the apostles and prophets, Peter's own writing, Paul's writings, James, John, all of these. And these things hadn't been formed into a Bible yet, but he was saying that the things that I've written, first and second Peter, I'm going to seek to preserve them for you so that you can always have them in remembrance. And then in verse 19, he says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's referring to that time that John was baptized. Jesus was baptized by John and the Lord said, this is my beloved son. And also he had heard the same thing happen on the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, where the heavens opened and the glory cloud came and God said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And so he's referring to, he says, I've experienced God. I heard this. I saw it. I know I'm not writing to you fables. These aren't things that we heard from somebody else. There is zero possibility that this is wrong. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. And so I'm writing them down so that you can be absolutely certain that the things I'm telling you are true. And in verse 18, and this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. That's talking about the man of transfiguration. So here's what Peter is trying to do. He's trying to say, I want you to know the certainty of the things that I've said to you. This isn't something I hatched. I didn't hear this from somebody. There is zero chance that this is wrong. I heard it. I saw it. I had an encounter. I was with Jesus when he literally radiated light and a glory cloud came over him and an audible voice came out of heaven. 
You know what he's doing? He's trying to show the people that you can count on what I said. It's true. It's accurate because here's all of these physical proofs. You know, it would be like me. We advertised this meeting. And did you know, if you advertise that somebody's going to be preaching the word and saying what the word of God says, fanatics like you come. (laughs) But you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of Christians in the Atlanta area. And if you had somebody come on who said, I saw the glory cloud of God. I heard an audible voice. God, I shook me and I have a prophecy of what's going to happen. And if they had some kind of miraculous manifestation and told you that they'd been seeing dreams and visions and bolts of lightning. And if there was any credibility in their life at all, you could put a lot more people in here. More people would turn out for that. But say that you're going to be ministering the word of God and oh, the word again. I'm not upset about it. I'm just saying that's the way that it is. But he, he was trying, if I had gotten on my program and said, I've had a word from God, God appeared to me and I had three angels stand there and there was two confirmations and then a prophecy came and this happened and I've got a word for Atlanta and I'm going to come share it with you. And if I'd have said this on my television program, we'd had a lot more people here. In a sense, that's what Peter is doing, saying, I've got all of these physical, tangible things that verify it. But after making that point, look what he said in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. What could be more sure than hearing an audible voice from God, seeing Jesus radiate light? What can you get that is better than that? In the 20th verse, it says, knowing this, first, that there is no prophecy of the scripture that has any private interpretation. If you take it, he started off talking about that the scripture is what our life is based on. It's the knowledge of him that brings us everything that we need. He says, I'm writing these things down so you can be certain of them. I've got the physical proof. I've seen, I've heard, but I've got something even better than that. I've got something better than hearing an audible voice from God. I've got something better than seeing things. I've got better, something better than angels. I've got something better than any of this. You know what it is? It's the word of God. It's the the surety of the prophecy of the word of God. Man, that is powerful. And then he continues to talk about it in verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. These words aren't human words. They were written down by people, but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, one, one, I think it's the Greek says that all of these words are God breathed. They came through men, but it was God that spoke it. And this word is not like any other book. It's not like my books. My books are about the word and it's my words about the word, but not every single word in my book is God breathed. This word is like no other book. This is God breathed. And you've got to get to where you put this in a category all by itself. This is more important than anything else. It's more important than anything else. And if you want to deal with your doubts, if you want to get out of doubt and into faith and start experiencing what faith can produce, you are going to have to start putting the word of God up here above anything else. And when you get discouraged instead of going and sucking your thumb, forgive me for being honest and blunt, 
But instead of you sucking your thumb and wanting somebody to come rub your fevered brow and say, oh, you're really a good person and you shouldn't feel down. You ought to go to the word of God and you ought to start taking the word of God and go back and stir yourself up and renew yourself. I suspect that every person in here at some time or another has had God, the Holy Spirit, take some scripture and make it come alive in your heart where it spoke to you and it changed your life and you knew it. And it may be years ago and you may not feel the impact of it right now, but I can guarantee you it doesn't have an expiration date on the word of God. If you have lost your emotion of it and your feeling, and if you aren't as zealous about it, and if you aren't as blessed and as excited as you once were, it's not God who cut off the spigot. It's not the word of God who fades after a certain period of time. And you got to go get another scripture. It's your heart that becomes hardened and insensitive. And you can redo that by just going back and rehearsing what God has spoken to you. Go back and renew yourself. Sit down and take time to go back and remember when God spoke these scriptures to you. You know, I do this all the time. I can, I can go back and I could show you places where I was at this moment when God revealed this to me, when God spoke this scripture to me. Ashley talked about this last night when he gave his testimony. He said he could tell you at what stoplight he was when he got the revelation that it was God's will for Hannah to be healed. He could tell you exactly where he was when he got the revelation. He had the anointing for that. And all you got to do is go back and remember. This is what Peter is saying. I'm going to stir you up through putting you in remembrance. Go back and remember the word of God. Remember what God has said to you. Go back and stir yourself up. If you don't stir yourself up, you're going to settle to the bottom. You need to be stirred up. Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that was in you, which was given unto you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. It's up to you to stir yourself up. You don't get stirred up sitting there just watching junk on television and reading dime novels and doing all of the stuff that we occupy ourselves with. But if you would go back to the word of God, you can stir yourself up. Did you know I keep a journal? I've kept a journal since 96 and I write down things that God speaks to me and I go back. I remember on January the 31st, 2002, I had the second most important encounter with God that I've ever had in my life. And God spoke to me through Psalm 78, 41. And he told me I'd been limiting him and told me to take the limits off of him. And he had been speaking it to me for weeks. I finally got it January the 31st, 2002. I wrote that in my journal. I wrote down what I thought that meant, what would happen. And you know what? I go back and I read that. I remember that. I remember this man, Pastor Dean Melton, prophesying things over me that seemed impossible. I go back and I read those prophecies. I go back and remember what God spoke to me. And I remember the things that have happened and I go back to the word. And this is how I keep myself built up. And any one of you can do that. If God has ever spoken to you, if you got born again, this woman that got born again, came from jail and got born again, baptized in the Holy spirit. And yesterday's the greatest day of her life. And she just had a wonderful day. You need to remember this. You need to go back and remember what God spoke to you because there will be something happen that will take your attention off of Jesus and you can start doubting. Anytime you look away from Jesus, you're like Peter walking on the water. 
If you are looking at Jesus, everything's fine. You can walk on top of the water, but if you get to looking aside at the wind and the waves, it doesn't have to be sin. Doesn't have to be pornography. Just take your eyes off of Jesus and go to looking at the tornadoes that come through the area. Just go to looking at something around you and your faith will begin to sink. And if you find yourself starting to sink, just go back to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Go back to the word. Go back and take the scriptures that God has spoken to you and remind yourself of what God has said and how he applied that to your life and take the word of God. And you can stir yourself up and you can get as excited about that scripture and about what God spoke to you as you've ever been in your life. As a matter of fact, I honestly believe that what God did in my life, March the 23rd, 1968, is more real to me tonight than it was then. It didn't diminish. It's stronger because I've rehearsed it. I've gone over it and over it and over it so many millions of times. I think it would be accurate to say over a million times. I've gone back and thought about this. My Bible college students probably have heard me refer to it thousands of times. Matter of fact, that's on our test. You can't graduate from our Bible college if you don't know March the 23rd, 1968. I have rehearsed it so many times that you know what? It's more real to me. It's having more of an impact on me tonight than it did 43 years ago. It hasn't diminished. It's increased. It's grown. It's bigger. You can do that. You can take the scriptures and you can meditate on them. And this is what Jesus did. He referred John back to the word. What does the word say, John? And it doesn't tell us John's reaction, but I know Jesus wouldn't have done this if he didn't have confidence that John, the greatest man who had ever been born among women, would be able to figure it out. I'm sure the Holy Spirit was right there to help him connect it. And John all of a sudden saw he is the Christ because he did everything that was prophesied. And John's doubts left and John went out with a shout. John was in faith when he left and he wasn't sitting there just nursing his wounds. Jesus didn't accommodate his carnality. Did you know after I made that decision that I wasn't going to seek all of these things, I just wanted to stand on the word. Now, if we go to a meeting, there could be 50 people prophesied to and they'll miss me nearly every time. I'll be standing right there on the front row and they'll go down the row and prophesy to everybody but me. I seldom have anybody give me a word. You can nearly count on it. <laughs> and you know what? I used to think, God, what's wrong with me? Do I have bad breath? Do I just have something in the spirit that is nobody wants to minister to me? And the Lord reminded me, says, this is what you asked me for. You ask that you just operate in the highest form of faith that the word is good enough. And you know, it, it's that way the vast majority of times. I don't get that many prophecies because I've made this decision and God's honoring it. I'm not against anybody who receives some other way, but I'm saying there's a difference. You know, when you were a child, you receive things as a child, but as you grow up, it should get to a place to where God's word is enough. And there are many of you, and I'm saying this in love, but you have, God has revealed the word to you. God has spoken things to you. 
but you don't have enough confidence in it. You're waiting on some blinding flash of light, some angel to come down and an audible voice to confirm it before you'll act on it. But if you would be honest, God's already spoken to you. If you didn't have all of your fears about what happens if I take this path and what happened, and if you weren't thinking about all of this, if you were just to say, what do I really feel in my heart? Most of the people in here, God has spoken to you and given you direction and you aren't acting on it. You aren't mixing it with faith. You're timid about it. You're afraid to stand on the word of God alone. And I'm telling you, the Lord, I believe is saying that you need to be like John the Baptist. That isn't the word enough. He's not going to meet you someplace else. He might sooner or later, but if he does, you won't be as blessed as if you just take the word that he's already spoken to you and act on it. And I've sat where you're sitting before. And I was looking for all of these other things. And I can tell you that some of you, the reason God hasn't spoken to you isn't because he doesn't love you or doesn't care about you. It's because he's already spoken to you and you aren't taking his word as being sufficient. You're wanting more. And God is trying to honor you and God's trying to bring you up to a level to where you just take the word that he's already spoken and believe it and quit looking for something else that's tangible. Everything that's tangible can be corrupted. Everything that's physical, if you can see it, it's temporary is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 18 says. But the things that can't be seen are eternal. The spiritual things are much more important than the carnal things. And yet most of us are wanting carnal things that we can base our faith on. The only thing that is solid enough to hold your faith is the word of God. And God is trying to bring you up to a higher level. And it may be the fact that he loves you so much that he hasn't given you three goosebumps and two emotional breakdowns because he's wanting you to trust the word of God. Man, you need to make a decision that father, I'm going to honor your word. I want to be like the centurion and operate in such great faith that it makes you marvel. I want to take the word of God and believe it only. I don't have to have you walk in. I don't have to see you. I don't have to see you wave your hand. You give the word only and I've got it. You need to make sure that it's God's word, not your own word. There's a lot of checks and balances to what I've said, but there are some of you in here that you know God spoke to you. You don't really have any doubt. You just are wanting all these confirmations. You're timid, you're shy about it. But if push comes to shove, you know what God said and you just need to get up and do it. Amen. Amen. You need to act on the word. Why would God give you number two or three word until you do number one? We have people all the time say about, well, I know that God's spoken to me about going to school, but if I go to school, how am I going to sell my house? What am I going to do for a job out there? What about this? What about that? And they want all of these things answered. I've had people come to me and say that. I had one man come from Chicago and he says, I know God told me to come to this school, but he was still single. He was living at home. He says, my parents think you're the devil. And so they said no. And then they took him to their pastor and the pastor said, absolutely not. Andrew Womack is of the devil. That's a cult. 
and told him not to go. And he was working for his dad and his dad said, I'll fire you and you have no money and we're going to cut you out of the family. And, and he told me all, and he just started telling me all of these things and he was crying. And he says, so what do you think? And I said, well, you lost me the moment you said that you knew God had told you to come. I said, if God told you to come, who cares about anything else? Just do it. But most people that, but I need to know what's going to happen. No, you don't. If God gave you step number one, why should he give you step number two, three, and tell you how he's going to fix it until you obey the first one? All that does is just make you more accountable. Instead of being guilty of rejecting one thing, maybe you'd reject three or four or five things. God's not going to give you step number two until you do step number one. We've had people before say, but I'm living on the street. How can I come out to Colorado Springs? I don't have, I told him, said, we got streets in Colorado Springs. Come out in Colorado Springs and live on the street. Do you think that's what God wants me to do? No, I don't think God wants you to live on the street. But if God told you to come to Colorado Springs and go to Bible school, I'd, I'd head that direction. And if I died halfway there, I'd at least be halfway in faith instead of totally out of faith. And if God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it if it hair lips the devil. I just don't give a rip about how it works. I'm going to do it. Amen. Right now, God's got me doing things that you know what? In the natural, it can't be done, but we're going to do it. You hide and watch. We will get it accomplished. And I'm doing everything that I know that God's telling me to do. I may be missing it, but if I am, I don't know that I'm missing it. I'm doing everything that I know to do and I'm listening. And if God speaks something else to me, I'll do it. Can you say that? Can you say that you, you may not have arrived, but have you left? Are you doing what God told you to do? Have you acted on the word? Are you letting circumstances, disappointments like John make you wonder about, have I really heard from God? Man, you need to go back to what does the word say? What has God spoken to you? And if God told you to do something, do it. Mary said this to the disciples, whatever he says unto you, do it. That's great advice. Whatever he said unto you, do it. Just do it. But if I do it, what will happen to me? Who cares? Do it. Obeying God is more important than what happens to you. There's some things more important than you. And that's God and his kingdom. And you aren't going to really find freedom and joy until you get out of making it all about you. It's what does God want you to do? He gave his life for you. The least you could do is live for him and follow him. What has he told you to do? Do it. And if you'll do that, I can guarantee you, you would start seeing miraculous things happen. We need to get to where the word of God is all important. Again, people say, but God said this and God said this. And I've I've even told people before, God Almighty, who's got a universe to run, keep all the planets and the stars and the comets from colliding into each other and deal with everything here. He's got all of this to run and God Almighty talks to you and you're debating about whether or not you will do it. 
Who do you think you are? Man, if God speaks to me and if I know that it's God, I'm going to do it. If he told me to do something that looks like certain death, I'd do it. Some of you think, well, that's easy to say, but you know, I've done it. (laughs) Amen. I remember for the first time in our ministry, it looked like we were going to survive. We actually had people coming. We were eating on a regular basis. It looked like I was going to live and not die. We were making it in Childress, Texas. I was on the radio and things were working and people were beginning to be ministered to. And God told me to go to Pritchett, Colorado. If you've never been to Pritchett, Colorado, you couldn't get there unless you're trying to get there. It may not be the end of the world, but it's so close. You could see the end of the world from Pritchett, Colorado. 144 people in the town. The church meant in a little 15 by a hundred foot long building that was a wreck. No plumbing in the building. There was less than 10 people in the church. I had 50 or something in the church. It's uh, Childress. And God told me to go to Pritchett, Colorado. And you know what? That may not sound like much to you, but you didn't know how desperate we had been for so many years. And we were leaving the only success we'd ever seen. And we left it all to go to Pritchett, Colorado. And I guarantee you, that's not a stepping stone to anywhere. (laughs) That's like the end. It's a dead end. You don't go there as a stepping stone to something else. I went there because I knew that that's what God told me to do. And I was glad to do it. But I figured that that's the end of any dream I ever had of reaching a lot of people. You can't reach when there's only 144 people in the town. And the next closest town is 30 miles away. And it's 100 people. You know what? It's just not much chance of drawing a lot of people and reaching a lot of people. But yet I did it. And that's where we incorporated this ministry. That's where I started on radio. That's when everything opened up. And now I look back, I don't know how God would have done what he's done in my life without going there. But at the time it went against my sense knowledge, but it was just what God told me to do. I've done a bunch of stuff that God has told me to do that doesn't make sense. And yet it works. I'm telling you, you got to get to this place to where you exalt the word of God and God's word is going to dominate you. End of discussion over. That's it. If you aren't there, you need to make that decision tonight and you need to humble yourself and exalt God's word. This is the way that you deal with doubt. And this is how you receive the greatest blessing from God. Amen. Amen. Father, I minister these words in the name of Jesus. And I believe that you are going to take these truths and speak them into people's lives. And those who've been struggling with doubt and have been trying to cope with it by carnal means and trying to get someone to confirm it and looking to everything and anything but you. I pray that you redirect their faith back to the word of God, that they would go to your word, that they would find the promises, that they would make their stand on what the word of God has to say and not look for just some physical carnal thing that'll pass away. Father, I pray that people would leave this meeting this week with an absolute assurance 
of how infallible and powerful the Word of God is and that they would commit their life to it. That, Father, they would live or die, sink or swim based on what your Word has to say and not their own understanding. That they would get to where they trust your Word above their own sense knowledge, above the advice of other people, above the criticisms of other people. Father, I just thank you. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here to take these truths and to release them. And just as I believe that John the Baptist received it and it caused faith to rise on the inside of him and he faced death with no fear because of what you'd spoken to him, I believe that, Father, you will flow through people and whatever they're dealing with, that, Father, you will help them to overcome because of their confidence and strength in the Word of God. We agree and we receive that. And I thank you that there are changes being made in people's hearts right here tonight that we will leave this place different than we came, that people will go home from this conference different than they came, basing their life on what the Word of God says. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. Your Word is enough. Father, you are more than enough. Thank you for giving us your Word. We honor it by submitting to it and believing it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. I hope you agreed and prayed that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. This is my last opportunity here to ask if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus, you need to believe the word. You know, I talk to a lot of people who've prayed for salvation, but they don't feel anything and they just constantly are back and forth. Am I truly saved? You need to go by what the word says, that if you confess the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And it says, for with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession, whosoever comes calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've had people pray that prayer with me before. And then I say, are you saved? And they say, well, I hope so. And I say, doesn't the word say whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved? I said, are you a whosoever? They say, well, yes. I said, did you call on the name of the Lord? Well, yes. Are you saved? I hope so. (laughs) You need to get to where you just set aside your feeling. God said this. If you're a whosoever, call on the name of the Lord, believe it in your heart and you shall be saved. And if that doesn't get you saved, then we've all had it. You need to quit going by how you feel. And whether or not you look different in the mirror, you just need to trust the Lord. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. And if you've been born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, you need to receive this gift of speaking in tongues. I tell you, when when you deal with doubt, speaking in tongues is just like flipping a switch, just like turning on a dynamo, just like... Man, all of a sudden, when I start speaking in tongues, something starts going on the inside of me and faith builds up. It says in Jude chapter one, verse 20, but you beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, this is why speaking in tongues is so powerful because speaking in tongues does not make sense to your mind. You're speaking gibberish. You don't know what you're saying. And if you continue in the physical And just going by your own mind, you'll shut off praying in tongues. You can't pray in tongues very long because it's foolishness. For you to pray in tongues, you've got to get beyond the physical 
and into the spiritual and start believing. Father, I don't care what it sounds like. Your word says this. I'm building up myself and you just press into a realm of faith. Speaking in tongues forces you into a realm of faith quicker than nearly anything else. It's one of the most important things that you can do. And that's precisely why it's so powerful because it pushes you into faith. It doesn't make sense to your natural mind. If you don't have this ability to speak in tongues, you need it. Even if you've prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, maybe you've spoken a phrase or something, but if you don't speak in tongues, if you can't flip the switch and start building yourself up, you need to come and speak in tongues. Is there anybody here who would say, I need one or both of those. I need either to be born again or, and, or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Here's lots of people still here. Praise the Lord. Isn't it great? Thank you, Jesus. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Just come stand right down here in front. It's good to see you again. I prayed with her over her hearing out here tonight. This is a great time to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. What a deal. We've had, I don't know, at least there was 155 that came back and who've already received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe there's probably over 200. Not everybody came back. But praise God. There's already been so many people receive this. You know what? God wants you to receive the Holy Spirit. Man, he's waited for this night for a long time. He wants you to start having his power. And I tell you, faith is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Galatians 5, 23. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, faith is just going to explode on the inside of you. It'll be powerful. Anybody else here want to come and receive? I know in my heart that there's others out there that for whatever reason you aren't up here, you ought to be coming. You ought to come. Praise the Lord. See, here's three more that came up. Praise the Lord. You know, there's still about three or four more people out there that you're thinking, but what if I go up and nothing happens? I can tell you this, if you don't come up, nothing's going to happen. I can't guarantee that you're going to receive because it depends on what you believe. But I can tell you what you ought to, if you feel God speaking to you, God is speaking to your heart, you ought to come forward. You ought to come forward right now and you ought to let God minister to you. Thank you, Jesus. So here's three more right here. Praise God. I knew you were out there. Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you first of all need to make Jesus Christ your personal Savior. The Bible says He's the one who baptizes people with the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the baptizer before you receive the baptism. Is there anybody up here who's not absolutely certain that you've already been born again and that Jesus lives in your heart? If you aren't certain, I need to pray with you first 
and make sure you're born again. Anybody, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. You're raising her hand. She's not raising her hand. That doesn't work. Anybody here? If you aren't absolutely sure. Anybody? All of you sure that you're born again? Are you not sure you want to pray and just make Jesus your Lord? I was eight years old. How old are you? Huh? Ten? See, you're two years older than I was when I got born again. I knew what I was doing. I knew that I needed Jesus in my life. Anybody else? Here's another one down here. What I'd like to ask is that all of you pray this prayer with me. It's not magic. You saying these words doesn't guarantee that you're born again. But the Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be born again. And if you will say what I'm going to say and mean it in your heart, you will be born again. I can promise you that. Isn't that a good deal? Jesus has already forgiven your sins. All you've got to do is receive it. So I'd like to ask everybody in here to repeat this with me. And if you will say this and mean it in your heart, I believe you'll be born again. Amen. Now, brothers, you guys quit fighting. You quit hitting him, okay? We're, this is serious stuff. All right. Father, just say this. Say, Father, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe Jesus died to forgive my sin. And I receive that forgiveness. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I believe that you are alive. You now live in me. I am saved. I am forgiven. Right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. You believe that? Awesome. Do you believe that, brother? Welcome to the family. You just became my brother. You're a brand new person on the inside. Isn't that awesome? Now, according to the Word of God, every person who's made Jesus your Lord is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means this is what God created you for. In your spirit, you are a temple that he wants to fill with his Holy Spirit. So there's no way he wouldn't give you the Holy Spirit. Some people teach that you got to be holy before you get the Holy Spirit. If you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given so that you can receive his power and start overcoming things. So don't let any problem in your life, if you've got a habit, a problem, something that's not right, you're a prime candidate for the Holy Spirit. He created you to be a temple and he wants to fill you with his power. So we aren't going to beg. We're just going to ask one time, open up the doors to this temple and welcome the Holy Spirit to come in. And if you crack it open an inch, He's going to come flooding into your life here tonight. Amen. So we're just going to ask, and then I'm going to ask my prayer ministers to come up here. And these people are going to stand behind you and lay hands on you. Because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to ask, welcome the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And then these people are going to lay hands on you and release this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into you. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe that what he promised would come to pass. And he promised and said, if you being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So He promised He'd do it. So we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on it, and then you're going to quit asking and just start thanking God that His Word is true and quit going by feelings. Do what I talked about tonight. Honor the Word. He said He'd give you the Holy Spirit and just believe because the Word says so. And so after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking and just start thanking Him. At that time, I want you to lift your hands like this because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. This blesses God. It's a sign of surrender, just like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I yield, I surrender. This is your way of yielding. So we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to start thanking God. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 17, that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God for giving you the Holy Spirit in our prayer language. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to quit thanking him in English or Japanese or whatever you speak and start thanking him in English. I mean, in uh, tongues, excuse me. (laughs) I was confused here. But you start thanking him in tongues. And I know some of you think, well, how do I pray in tongues? What do I do? I've got a book that's going to explain it. I hadn't got time to explain it now. But if you're ready, you could speak in tongues right now. The the number one thing that holds people back is they think that the Lord's going to force you to speak in tongues. They think it's just like you open your mouth and it controls you and it's, it's out of your control. You're just being forced to speak in tongues. That's not the way it happens. The Bible says in Acts 2, 4, they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or as He inspired it. It's just like I spoke tonight. I spoke. If I would have said, oh God, speak through me. Don't let me talk. Let it be you. And if I'd have just opened up my mouth and have waited on God to make me talk, nothing would have happened. He didn't force me to talk. I spoke. I thought of it. It came out with my personality, but God inspired it. That's the way speaking in tongues is. You have to speak and by faith believe that God is inspiring it. And once you get over the newness of it, quit listening to yourself. He'll confirm it to you that it's him. It'll flow out of you. You can speak in different languages. You can do something with your brain totally different and yet still be speaking in tongues. But anyway, if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. And I'll give you a book that will help explain it. But we want to pray right now and let you begin to start experiencing this. Y'all ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak in tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. Thank you that we are all born again. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We want you in our life. We open up the doors of these temples. And we say, Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. We want your power. We want these gifts. We want the ability to speak in tongues, bypass our brain, and talk straight out of our born-again spirit without doubt and unbelief. We welcome it. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power to flow into your life. And Holy Spirit, we release this anointing to flow into them. And thank you that you are filling every one of these right now with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
Praise God. Boy, that's powerful right here. Right here is the anointing of God flowing in your life. Now, I want you to put your hands up and start thanking God. Thank Him that His Word is true and that He gave you the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your word's true. I trust you. And from this time forth, I am filled with your spirit. I have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I can speak in tongues now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want those of us that have the gift of speaking in tongues, I want you to just begin to start worshiping the Lord, to speak in tongues. And as we start praising God and speaking in tongues, I want you to switch from thanking him in English to thanking him in tongues. Speak in tongues with us right now. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth to speak in tongues. You you can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. You're going to have to quit speaking in English. If you don't know what to say, You can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying, but your tongue will be unique to you. It won't be the same as anybody else's. You can't say what they're saying. But if you just will start trying, when it comes out, don't quit. Just keep talking and don't worry about what it sounds like. Right now, let's just glorify God. When you first speak in tongues, it may not sound like a language to you. But it's like a baby when they first speak. It doesn't sound like a language, but that daddy knows what that kid's trying to say. That daddy is receiving it. It's the same thing with you. It may not sound like a real language, but you're praying out of your heart. You're bypassing your brain. You've got the Holy Spirit inspiring it, and you are communicating with God on a level that doesn't have any of this doubt and unbelief in it. Sister, you got to open your mouth. Let's talk right now. Just start thanking God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, many, many, many of these are praying in tongues. I'd recognize the Holy Ghost anywhere. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me have your attention here for a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But you know, whether you spoke in tongues or not, God said, if you ask, he gives you the Holy Spirit. I believe you got the Holy Spirit. It's like when you get a pair of tennis shoes, they all come with tongues. Amen. I believe God gave every one of you this gift of speaking in tongues, but you have to cooperate. And when I first prayed to receive the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues for three and a half years, but that's because I was a Baptist and I had been told it was of the devil. And I was so afraid and so mixed up in my thinking that it took me three and a half years to speak in tongues, but I have figured it out. I now speak in tongues a lot. I speak in tongues every day. And uh, I wrote all of the things that were a problem to me in this book. I've explained why I speak in tongues. I give the scriptural answers. It's important that you understand this because I can promise you what happened to you right now is more important than what any of you know. 
You may have felt a release. You may have been blessed, but it's more than what you realize. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit in your life. And this book will help you. So I really want to give this to everyone so that this can have the maximum impact on you. And if you didn't speak in tongues, you read this. I've had thousands and thousands of people speak in tongues after reading this book. So I'd like to give a copy of this book to everyone. It's my gift to you. And if you would, if you just follow Ashley, he's the young man over in this aisle waving his Bible. He's going to take you right around the corner, give you a free book. And if there's anybody who has a question or needs prayer or anything, they will minister to you also. So if you would, let's just take a moment, follow Ashley. We'll give you this book and want you to get the full benefit of what's going on. Isn't this great? Let's praise God for all of these. Thank you, Jesus. I believe this is going to change your life. Praise God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I tell you what, the baptism of the Holy Spirit totally transformed me. I would have never done what I'm doing now if I hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely essential. These are our prayer ministers. And again, I want to thank all of you for coming. I know a lot of people have already left, but those of you that are still here are just stark raving mad fanatics. Amen. I want to thank you for coming. I want to encourage you that the things I've ministered, I believe could change your life. They could also change the lives of other people. And if you'd get the DVDs or the CDs of this, it's a great way to share it with other people. This is the kind of thing that every person needs to hear. So I'd encourage you to get that. If there's anybody who needs prayer, these are our prayer ministers. These are all friends of ours and people that are well-versed. Many of them are Bible college graduates. Some are pastors. All of them have been through a training. We, all of these miracles that I gave at the very beginning of the service, it was through these people that we're praying for them. And uh, these people are well-qualified to pray with you. So if you have any need of anything, I'd like to ask you to come forward right now and let one of our prayer ministers agree with you. And we're going to believe God for a miracle. So if you want prayer for anything, just come forward right now. We've got people standing at the aisles that are going to direct you towards a prayer minister. And please cooperate so that everybody doesn't line up on one side. We'll be able to pray for every single person in here this way. The rest of you, thank you for coming. I'm going to stay and pray. And I've been calling out healings. We've seen brain tumors healed this week. We've seen deafness healed. As these people pray, I pray and call out miracles. And we've seen a lot of miracles. You're welcome to stay and pray with us. But if you need to go, you're free to go. Thanks for coming. Remember, I'll be over at Van and Regina's church, Solid Rock of Atlanta, in the morning, if any of you are available, for 8 o'clock and 1030 in the morning. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you and we just praise you. Believe that it is your will that every single person be well. Everyone. That by your stripes we've already been healed. So we stand here, Father, doing what your word said. It said to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And we are honoring the word. We are laying hands on the sick. 
and we believe that they are recovering. We curse cancer and command cancer to die right now. All cancer cells within the sound of my voice, I kill you in Jesus' name. I command cancer to quit growing and multiplying. You leave these people. Get out of their bodies. Tumors leave in the name of Jesus. And whatever organs, parts of the body have been damaged, Father, we release your anointing and believe that you're restoring those parts of their body, that they are going to live and not die. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive these miracles now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord spoke to me that there's a couple here. You got to be a couple. I'm not praying for any single people for this. But the Lord spoke to me that there's a couple here, even if your mate's not here, somebody who's married, who's been unable to have children, and God is going to heal you and you're going to have children. Is this this couple? Well, I'm not horning in on you, but I just release it towards you guys through him. Anybody else here that has been unable to have children, here's the healing power of God. Here's someone over here. If that's you, I want you to stand where you are and put your hand up. Put your hand up so I can see who this is. Father, for all of these that are standing right now, I just bless them. Whatever is caused barrenness, I command the barrenness to be gone now in the name of Jesus. You leave them and let them go. Father, I speak the blessing of Deuteronomy 7 that there will not be a single one among us that is barren or any that cast their young have a miscarriage. Thank you that from this time forth, they are able to conceive that they will bring this baby to full term, that they will have children. I speak this blessing over them. You're healed. You're blessed. You're fruitful in the name of Jesus. From this moment on, Father, we agree and we receive. Hallelujah. Amen. I believe a miracle took place. Amen. That's not going to be a virgin birth. You got a part to play. You do your part and God does his part. Amen. Praise God. Father, we just thank you and we believe that. We thank you, Father, that children are a blessing from the Lord and that you are blessing these couples that haven't been able to conceive. Thank you from this time on, they can. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Somebody here had a wreck or something has hit you and you have uh, either broken or cracked your collarbone. You got a problem right here. Your collarbones were damaged and it's caused problems. Who is that? If you had some kind of an injury that has affected your collarbones right here, if that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand so I can see who this is. Stand so I can see you. I know you're in here. I know I got the right meeting. Where are you? Oh, here you are over here. (laughs) Praise God. I prayed with you earlier. Well, Father, we agree and we release this healing power right now. And whatever happened or whatever damage there is to these collarbones, to this area in here, I speak healing through this body. And body, you receive this power right now and you be healed in Jesus' name. 
I command pain to be gone and whatever the root of that pain is, leave her. Father, we believe that she's healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Your name's Doreen, isn't it? Is it Doreen? Well, it was close. Anyway, I believe you're healed. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you for these healings. Somebody here has been unable to bend over. Your back hurts way down in the lower part of your back. Who is this that's been unable to bend over? Stand up. Hold your hand up. Anybody else here that's been unable to bend over? Your back's being healed. Lower back. Who is this? If that's you, stand up. Raise your hand so I can see who it is. Just this one lady back here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I release this healing right now and command this back to respond. Whatever pain she's had, whatever problem she's had, pain, you leave her. And the source of this pain, get out of her body, be gone off of her right now. In the name of Jesus. Right there is your deliverance. This pain's leaving you right now. How do you feel? You feel good? Can you bend over? Bend like this. Could you have done that before? Now you can do it. That's a miracle right there. This lady's back was healed. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. Well, there's a number of people here that you've done something to your elbows. You've either fallen and hit them or you got a tennis elbow, but you got problems with your elbows. Who's this that has problems with your elbows? It hurts to move them or they're stiff and things. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's another one back here. Anybody else? I felt impressed that there was a number of people here that had this problem with your elbows. If this is you, somebody says, how do I know if this is me? If you got problems with your elbows, it's you. (laughs) Isn't that simple? Praise God. All right, again, those, oh, here's one over here. If that's you, I want you to stand and raise your hand. Here's one, two, three, four, five. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we, six, seven. Father, we agree, and in the name of Jesus, we release this anointing right now. And elbows be healed. Whatever has happened to these elbows, I speak healing unto them. Pain, you leave them. Arthritis, be gone off of them. Any damage, any broken, cracked bones, we just release the healing power of God and command these bones to respond right now. Pain, you be gone off of them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, begin to move your elbows. Begin to move and do what you didn't feel like doing. Here's the healing power of God flowing through your body. Some of you are being healed as you move your arms right now. Amen? Who in here has already seen the pain leave? You can already tell a difference. Here's one, two, three, four. Anybody else? Anybody else that the pain has already left? That was about four out of seven. Did you know that the rest of you were healed too? Even if you can't feel the difference right now, you believe that you've been healed. Jesus cursed the fig tree and it took about 24 hours for what he said to become visible. But I believe that God's healing's in your body and you speak to yourself and act on it and you're gonna be totally free. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We agree and we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. I just feel like all kinds of things happening. 
You know, when you preach a message that I preached tonight about putting your faith in the word and not in something tangible or physical, it just causes faith to rise. The more you focus on the word of God, the more your faith rises. I want to ask this. If there's anybody here who needs prayer for anything that I haven't called out, that you haven't come forward and you've been prayed for, but if you just need a healing, I want you to stand right now and lift your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're just going to receive all kinds of miracles right now. If that's you, I want you to just stand and you're going to receive a miracle right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for all of these and whatever the need is, whatever this situation is, I release your anointing right now. Command sickness to be gone. Command diseases to be gone. We break demonic powers and control. Emotional things. Schizophrenia is being healed now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Manic depressive is being healed. We command all kinds of oppression to leave people and be gone off of them right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, now we loose your anointing and believe that you are causing people to recover. That Father, pains are leaving, their bodies recovering. I thank you that these sicknesses are out of their emotions and mind, that they aren't thinking sick anymore. They aren't planning on being sick. Father, set them free in every way, spirit, soul, and body, so that this is no longer affecting them. And we agree and we receive these miracles and believe that this is done right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to thank God like you believe you're healed. Amen. Praise Him like you believe that He's really healed you. Thank you, Father, for healing us. Thank you for setting us free. We agree and we receive these miracles in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Well, thanks for coming. I think everybody who wants prayer is getting prayer. Thanks for coming. Don't forget that we have all those materials out there. Please help yourself. And uh, praise God. I believe you are blessed.